Here we go. God, I love that song, Cinema. What a great album produced by Trevor Horn, who is our, our virtual guest in a way, Steve, I guess you could say. Yeah, today is Trevor Horn's birthday, and even though we don't have him on the show, we want to talk about his autobiography. Um, it's also Peter Banks' birthday, but we talked about a bit of his work with Yes the other day on our second anniversary show with that Something's Coming Beyond and Before album. So happy birthday to Peter Banks. Uh, happy Avenue birthday again. But also, yeah, the Trevor Horn. Also, I'm Steven. This is Dan, my dad. We're Yes Shift. I don't remember if we said that. I didn't. Um, Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, we um, wanted to talk about this autobiography, which we got toward the end of last year. But was it that long ago? Yeah. And we've just been so busy. But oh then we at some point we were like you know what let's talk about it for trevor horn's birthday we'll have it all read by yeah. then and we have so uh yeah very excited to talk about this finally yeah and we want to let you know there will be spoilers but we're going to save those for like the last five or ten minutes there are some spoilers and we'll give you a heads up um, oh well only five or ten minutes <laughs> <laughs> well for ten minutes I think we can okay. get them out of the way. Of yeah, because there are some things I jotted down, and I'm not sure if they're spoilers or not, but I guess we're going to feel that out as we go along. Yeah, yeah, and they're all yes-related that he talks about in the book. Um, I, I'm pretty well-read when it comes to the Yes universe. I'm pretty well-viewed as far as all their DVD stuff and interviews and blah, 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 but there were some things I was like, what? I couldn't believe um, so we're going to save those for, for last in case you want to be surprised. We highly, highly recommend the book. We don't have an affiliate program with the publisher or anything. It's nine books, right, Steve? Uh, nine, eight books. Yeah. Nine, or is it 98? Or no, nine... it's just nine, eight books. Uh, it's the word nine, the word eight, and the word books. As in consuming by eating or... <laughs> no, it's... The numeral spelled out. It's like the number eight, but spelled out. So, <laughs> um, we, we want to thank them. Uh, it's a great book. We highly recommend if you like biographies, if you like reading books about people you follow in the arts and music, this is a must. Before we launch into our, our review, I want to mention, you know, every time I read one of these or listen to you having recorded it for me, cause it's just easier than me. Right. Reading, yeah. Cause that. Because the official audiobook is um, region-locked. Like, it's not available for the U.S. You know, I'd love to hear the version with Trevor Horn reading. But, yeah. you know, we, we've bought the book, uh, the autographed uh, copies, in fact. So um, I read, I record myself reading it so uh, you could listen to it. And, again, it's only available between us. We're not, like selling it or whatever right. obviously so right uh, but, yeah but, but what but i was go gonna on. say is every, every yeah every time i read a biography or listen to one i think to myself i hope i don't sound like an idiot saying this but i think <laughs> to myself how did they remember all that stuff like there's some pretty what i would consider finite details and i think back to all my years in being in bands and I started as a professionally paid musician when I was 15. I went on tour 
for the first time. I do not remember every detail about that tour, let alone every date. It was from LA to Long Island, back a different way. I went the next year as well. And then all the bands I was in, like, how do they remember all this stuff? I don't think everyone journals everything. I don't know. I journaled for a couple of years at one point, as you know. Um, but I, I don't know. That always fascinates me. Like, it, it makes me worry about my memory when I read someone else's great memory. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned that to me, I thought to myself, should I just jot down every happy memory I've had, like, just in case? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just weird. Anyhow, um, I, I want to throw the first, selfishly, the first thing out here when okay. he mentioned uh, that he was good friends with Lol Cream. And I, that hit me like, whoa, how serendipitous and coincidental is that because august yeah. 9th and uh kevin godley as well and we're having kevin godley uh, uh on the show august 9th yeah and that that's uh, what i was gonna say coincidentally we're having him on on the 9th from godley and cream and who also did kevin did the video of leave it um and then the sample of chris's voice from that song that was used later and so just some some neat crossover universe stuff but uh, why don't you go ahead with uh, a couple points and I'll cruise through some things and then we'll save yes spoilers for last. Right. Well, I don't think it's a spoiler to ask this question, but something that I saw someone ask about was like how much yes coverage is there in this book? Because that might be the main draw for them. And uh, I was wondering like, would, do you think that in general, yes, fans would enjoy this book that covers yes. basically Trevor's production career? Or do you think um, because yes is kind of confined to just a couple of chapters, they might not enjoy it uh, as much? Honestly, I think it's worth getting even if you just read those two chapters. I really do. And again, we don't get anything for this. I, as a Yes fan since 1971, as someone who totally loved drama and 90125, and those are both touched on, um, I, I highly recommend it. I think it's more about the, the nuggets that you probably won't know. Like I said, there were a lot of things I heard for the first time or read virtually through Steve's recording, and, and I think it's worth it just for that. I would have... Pay, if if someone said, hey, I got some notes from the book that just covers the yes stuff, but in respect for the publisher, I got to charge you the full price, I'd have paid it. <laughs> Seriously. And, and I can tell you now that it's worth it. Yeah, because I think it begins, you know, with his early life and getting into music and then... Which I get fascinating, by the way. Yeah, like you get to know his musical tastes. Like he was really into Pink Floyd and like set the controls for the Harvest Sun. He says made him feel like he was high, even though he wasn't like using anything then. Um, and yeah, like there's a bit of the drama period and the 90125 chapter is about halfway through. And I feel like if anyone were to start reading from the beginning like by the time they get to the end of the 90125 chapter they'd definitely want to continue reading i i think 
it would be bizarre if anyone just stopped like, there. Yeah, yeah, like if even if That's you're true. mainly there for the yes stuff, like just got to the end of that chapter and but, we're like, okay, I don't want to read the rest. Like it's so you know, well written. Yeah, but you know what else is important is that everything before that gives great context to the drama and the 90125 stuff. And that that's very important to have that context to know his musical upbringings and what he was into and the work he was doing with Jeff before then and even before that. It, it gives great context. It's almost kind of, I don't want to insult anybody, it's almost kind of dumb to just read those two chapters <laughs> and, and not have the full context of what led up to that. Um, uh, this is not a spoiler. I should have asked you this offline. Maybe it is. Never mind. I'm gonna leave it. Ah, <laughs> leave it. Yeah, but I would say that each chapter, like, it would be kind of weird reading those yes chapters like in isolation because I feel like every chapter kind of builds upon yeah. the stuff that came before. Yeah, you know, it's a bringing biography. up some. Yeah, like bringing up some stuff about the other artists he's worked with and those different experiences. It and, and very then much what feels like did, a progression. And what he did with those yes experiences afterwards. So you got to read the whole thing. But you do what you want and it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this would also appeal very much to people who either are really into the hits that he helped make and produce. Oh, or people. my mind. Yeah, or people who are just fascinated by production in general. You know, yeah. you get the story of how this guy with glasses, you know, he talks about how the glasses became part of his identity. Um, and like, really, to me, it never occurred to me that like, people like when he was growing up might not have sort of picked on him a little because of the glasses. I just always thought Trevor Horn was a cool guy and he is. So it was kind of bizarre reading that you know um but yeah like just seeing growing up and how he got into music and how he worked on producing all sorts of things that became so successful i think it's a very gripping story like even yeah. if you're only into the production side of things yeah. like you definitely love this book especially again the the context of time back when most of it that's Disgust is from the era of two inch tape machines, the size of wash machines, you know, and, yeah. and not how things are done today on a laptop or a PC with Pro Tools, Cakewalk, you know, all, all those programs. So it's worth it for that. But what what's a couple what are can you name some surprising things outside of the yes spoilers that we'll discuss later um, that you didn't know about him or his work? Because there were there were more for me than than I was comfortable with, meaning I was kind of embarrassed, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he worked with Foreigner. Oh my gosh, I didn't know he worked with Simple Minds. Oh my gosh, I didn't know he this, that, and the other thing. There, there were a <laughs> bunch of things that were like, what? Yeah, I was actually surprised to learn, you know, I, I consider myself a Buggles fan. You know, I, I saw uh, Trevor do the Buggles set last month. I got the keychain as I showed before. Yeah. Um, but. I was kind of surprised to learn that Bruce Woolley uh, made his own version of Video Killed the Radio Star yeah. and listening to it. And it's very much a big band version. And it is, it does sound 
pretty good, but it still feels like an alternate universe. And <laughs> I, I think it is. Yeah, I think the book even mentioned that it came out slightly before the Buggles version, but of course, right, like the literally Buggles... days or a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, and how at that time, it, like even the song video killed the radio star, like the title of it, they were kind of concerned because uh, there was an band. album called Video King by Snips and also the band Radio Stars. Right. And Trevor Horn uh, basically said at the time, by the time we get this song out, they'll be history. And right. Like he knew. <laughs> yeah, um, he was right. Yeah. Um, so what what what's uh, so another surprising fact for you? And then I'll throw some of mine out. Um, another was Ian McShane being a Yes fan. You know, the actor who did the narration for the song Slave to the Rhythm. Um, should we also talk about like the structure? Like, like this goes up to 2004. Like, should I talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, so the structure of the book, like each chapter is named after a song that has a lot of meaning to Trevor. Like the first couple are like songs that he listened to, but as it progresses, it's like songs that he worked on. And he decided, he made the very conscious choice to only cover his career up to 2004 because you know, beyond that point, there's the unfortunate family tragedy with uh, his wife, Jill Sinclair. Uh, Jill has a huge presence in this book. You see just oh, yeah. how pivotal she was in helping him make certain decisions against certain people signed on. Absolutely. Um, but also 2004 was when the Prince's Trust concert honoring Trevor Horn happened, and it had that weird yes lineup which we might talk about later and so that seemed like a very nice capstone event to go up to weird um, yes lineup sorry that just sounds funny yeah and the, <laughs> the introduction for this book starts with that event before we go back in time and then it comes back yeah. to that event at the end and that's actually a technique that was sort of um you know, the literary journalism classes I took in college touched upon that, like whenever we were told to write a story after interviewing someone, we'd have to pick an event that's like maybe somewhere in the middle of the chronology of the story, like something exciting to begin with, kind put of it at the front, it. and then tell the story from the beginning, because it's more exciting that way, like starting in media res. Um, and Steve Howe's autobiography did that too. I know you haven't read it, but I have. It begins with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame stuff, mm. which was like all over the place. And that's it's very smart to begin with that yeah. event and then go back in time because, you know, the early life stuff is so unfamiliar to right. the fans that they might you know you gotta start with some big event Suck that they probably already first, know yeah. Yeah. yeah um so i totally understand why trevor horn structured it this way and i think it really works yeah it's great um there's a few here's some i had no idea things um i'm looking at my my made a few notes um so 
if I, I don't remember if I have the gentleman's name correctly, uh, correct, but I think his name was Paul Johnson. Trevor, I hope I'm not messing up his name. The first drummer who did the demo of Video Killed the Radio Star and to find out that he had, that, that guy had played with Nina Simone. And if I remember correctly, in that same chapter, Unrelated, Trevor mentioned Singapore. And the funny thing about that is the last time Anja, my wife and I, Anja, last time we were in Singapore, we went to this little area uh, that we had never been the other times called Arab Town. And Arab Town's a really, really cool, cool suburb with all these really great shops and cafes and things. And they're all like roll up doors. So as you just walk right in, they're all open air. And we went in and sat down and had some sort of neat dessert and a beer or something like that. And on the wall was this huge mural of Nina Simone with uh, primary colors. And for those who don't know, Nina Simone was born in 1933. I think she passed in 2001, 2004, 2003, something like that. And she was an American jazz singer who, like Josephine Baker, another black American jazz singer, ended up moving to France. And that's where she passed away. So I just thought that weird mm. little collection of facts that clustered together was really interesting. Um, one of the things I always love discovering is different sayings different cultures have in the same language, the English language. And the, my favorite one from this book is when he's talking about uh, Jim Steinman, um, who had uh, written or produced, I think written, uh, songs like Bad Out of Hell, Total Eclipse of the Heart, and many other working class trailer trash anthems. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny in Trevor's words. And the other thing, when someone kind of made a narcissistic statement at the, like the worst possible time, he said, uh, Trevor says, talk about polishing the face while the roof is caving in. <laughs> that was so <laughs> funny. So little things like that, I get a kick out of it. The Ian McShane thing was a big surprise. When I heard that part on the recording, I ran out of the room and I, I told Enja because we're huge yeah. Ian McShane fans and she's a huge Grace Slick fan. And I, I said, hey, you know that song? I said, that voice is Ian McShane. And I told the story that, and I won't spoil the whole story, but uh, that was really cool. Um, Paul McCartney coming up behind Trevor at the studio while he was playing Space Invaders. And then Paul shows him how to rig the machine so he has the highest score. That was just hilarious. Yeah. And, um, and that really came full circle because when he, Trevor talks about his early life, you, you know, people of that generation were like, oh, yeah, I love the Beatles. And I want to become it, a musician because I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it took him a bit to get into them. But yeah. And eventually working with Paul McCartney. And it's just like, what a life, you know? Yeah. Um, and also with the likes of rod stewart david bowie um he talked about how he appreciated how honest uh rod stewart's manager was, yeah that I was great i loved that yeah because when it comes to musicians it, it's good to have people who support you but you also got to make sure you're not s surrounded just by yes men a uh, pun intended no pun in okay like like you gotta have people who give their honest opinions of like okay you you gotta do this to do it a bit better you know that type of thing yeah. and in this case i don't think this this spoiler we can rod was complaining about his voice and the manager gave it a listen and the manager easily could have 
throwing the engineer under the bus, but instead he told Rod, he said, it's your voice. You're not singing that well right there. And that that's the kind of manager everybody needs. That's the kind of life partner everybody needs. That's the kind of business partner or team member everybody needs. Um, you know, I, I hope with, with Trump Talk TV, and it's happened, someone will speak up if I'm out of line or just not doing something right or blaming something on the wrong thing. I mean, I can maybe think of one instance. We've, we've done pretty well in 10 and a half years, but my point is, like Steve says, we all need to surround ourselves with the right people, and that's part of it. You know, not someone that's going to hold your hand, nod, shake their head, and s nod and smile and walk you to the cliff and let you fall off. <laughs> you need someone that's got to kick you down the stairs, get down there to help you up, or punch you in the chin before they do. Yeah, and since he mentioned Drum Talk TV, um, when I was reading the introduction, you know, when he begins to talk about the 2004 Princess Trust concert and how stressful it is, like getting everything together, it really reminded me of like the Drum Talk TV 10th anniversary event. And it's like, even though it's a different scale, there's still those pressures, you know, oh, so it God. was kind of comparable in a way. Yeah, thanks for even thinking of that, even though you're probably only aware of 20% of it. And folks, just so you right. know, the reason why <laughs> is that that's the only Drum Talk TV thing that Steve's been part of or that happened while Steve's been with the company, which is six years now, I guess. But, but that he didn't have to do anything. He just came and enjoyed the show other than giving the audio video guys certain codes to get into our stuff for the live right. stream other than that. So for you to even recognize that just from what you saw, I guess, from rehearsal day and the day of the show and me probably just freaking out for two months. It took us <laughs> nine months to put that thing together. But the two months leading up to it, there was just more and more and more and more detail. And I got to tell you, without without Jerice, our amazing event planner without McKenna, my assistant, just helping me keep everything together. I never could have done that, you know? So, so right. that's interesting. Thanks for even recognizing that. Yeah. And I also got kind of nostalgic when in the book, you know, Trevor talks about sort of living at a place that had like this basement and there would be roommates who wouldn't talk to each other that much. It kind of yeah. got weirdly got me nostalgic for, um during college when certain oh, roommates at home like no. certain roommates just wouldn't talk to each other very much like, i don't weird. know why i was so nostalgic about that but i just was <laughs> was that more in england or more when you were at irvine uh in irvine like first couple years i guess you could say okay oh okay i didn't hear that um another thing was i thought it was funny when they played the first well first of all because this is tied to Art of Noise. Um, I I had no idea he was in, that Art of Noise was his band. I had no idea. And the reason why is because through that era of music, I was in a very snobby progressive rock band, and I didn't listen to anything like Duran Duran or you know anything that came out in that vein. No new wave, no techno. techno. So I had no idea. Um, my horizons are much like as broad as possible as far as musical genres as I've gotten older. But it was funny when he described playing um, the first Coachella 
concert and the saxophone he was going to use for one of the songs a plastic saxophone literally melted and deformed from the yeah. heat so they had to x that song out of the show that was just like oh. and i know what coachella's like you know you're closer to it right now than i am coachella just so y'all know is sort of near palm springs ish right it's like in that area palm desert palm springs it's over there and it is hot um so that was cool I, I didn't know he worked with Grace Jones. That blew my mind in the Grace Jones stories. And so when I walked out and told Angela, I'm pointing because her office is around the corner. And I said, uh, hey, you know the beginning of that song? That's Ian McShane. And then she says, I have a Grace Jones story for you when you're ready. I said, okay, tell me now. Because Angela, who knows what's in her past, right? She's, she's got all kinds of crazy stories. Right. She says, I dated a guy who who uh, dated Grace Jones before me. And my wife is black, for those of you who don't know. I don't know if there's any correlation there. But what happened was he said that he he got they were living together for a while, and he went home, and she was in bed with another woman. And he said what really got him the most is that they didn't even stop. They didn't even, like, oh, we're busted. They just kept on going, and he just left, and that was the end of it. And he oh, said wow. that's what hurt the most. <laughs> um. Really great yeah. book. What are, what are some of your other favorite anecdotes that you got out of it or things about production or things like that that you learned? Or you yeah, about? well, real quick, I see uh, Brian Cahoon commented, technician recognition. Yeah, ah, definitely. Whoa, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I got to recognize the people who work on the production. I, I loved how detailed it was whenever he would yeah. talk about, I, I would uh, move this, I'd use this machine and... Uh, I would try going back to the demo to see how it sounded and what drew me in the first time. And sometimes he would use older music as inspiration for what to do with newer stuff, using samples and remixing and stuff like that. He, he seems to be a lifelong study of the craft as he's going yeah. through it, like just really deep. Um, yeah, also yeah, the right. DreamWorks movie Spirit, uh, the one about the horse from the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. I, I watched that movie as a kid, at like probably in the theater, and I remember enjoying it. But reading that Trevor Horn was fired from that movie, I was like, whoa, what happened there? And yeah. I, I kind of want to hear that story, that but, story. He, yeah. but he mainly focused on Coyote Ugly uh, in that chapter, which sounded like an interesting film the way that he described it and helping them work on like miming the keyboard and uh so i got around to watching that movie and i, I thought it was fine like I, I was interested in the songwriting aspect but there were some other things in it that i was like oh i guess this is part of the movie too but there are some genuinely heartwarming moments in it so yeah people uh, might like it yeah shout out to lee john killingsworth a friend of mine who's in that movie because oh, really? he's one of the founders he's um the chief marketing officer yeah oh okay yeah he lived in ojai above where we lived in ventura and he recently moved to florida so yeah cool guy cool movie yeah and trevor also says that performing with seal on stage felt so natural when it finally happened and i could definitely see that when i saw them perform together that's here cool. in la last month like there's definitely a kinship there yeah 
That's super cool. Um, I also wanted to mention, let me look at my notes here. Oh, I can relate to this. Like even now with, with Drum Talk TV, what we're doing, my marketing company, the fact that my wife and I live in a very small mountain town, as I mentioned, it's Globe, Arizona. Let us know where you're watching from, by the way, folks. Globe, Arizona, 100 miles east of Phoenix, very small town. And, and I, I work from here. My studio's here. My office that I'm in is here. So when he mentioned about um, going out and performing again for the first time in 20 years since the yes thing, he said he'd become a golem-like creature living yeah. in the studios, <laughs> uh, you know, not wanting to see the sunlight and being, you know, pretty much um, a away from a normal human contact. I thought that was hilarious. I mean, my yeah. room, this is the third place we've lived. I don't even have a window in this room. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've never noticed that about that yeah. room. That and is it's weird. not a basement. The, this room is an interior room surrounded by other rooms. And just big gallery is out there. Then there's a hall on this side of the wall that leads down to the gym. And behind me is another part of, like, her, her office. Yeah, so it's, like, no windows. And, and that's probably good. Because if we ever build a house like we want to on a ranch with windows, I'll probably get no work done. I'll probably just always be staring out the window at the birdies or something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought it was funny. Um, one of his kids pronounced Pet Shop Boys Ketchup Boys. Ketchup boy. It reminded me. I mean, every parent, I'm sure, did what I did. It reminded me of the funny things that you and your brother and sister's used to pronounce differently oh uh, like, yeah yeah Alex well, used... we we don't need to mention the one, one of those oh, okay yeah <laughs> the one of um, alex's yeah like i i don't want to embarrass him or oh, anything. oh okay yeah but um yeah also I, I i remember one of these bands that he talks about that he worked with he was talking about how it was kind of difficult to get them all to work yeah, to get, like trying to bring out the best of everyone at one point. And that kind of remind me of the latter sessions, how Bruce Fairbairn was able to get everyone to like on the same page. Yeah. And on the same page, even though give that music it, they're all collaborate. Page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's a big part of the producer. I think that band was Simple Minds. I think it was that chapter. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and interesting that uh, he said, so if you could get any dream drummer, who would it be? And they said, Stuart Copeland. The next day, Stuart got on a plane, flew out to Scotland, and had a conversation with the band, and then he didn't even play. He recommended Manu Kache, who is uh, on my favorite Tears for Fears song, which is um, um Bad Man song from the Sowing the Seeds of Love album. An amazing drum work on there, amazing drum work. And... Tons of stuff with Peter Gabriel as well from the So album. I think he played on So and um, the album. No, it was just So. I don't think he's on us. Anyhow, great drummer. But it was interesting to me that that Stuart flew all the way out there just to have a conversation with them to recommend somebody else. Yeah. And I don't think we've mentioned this, but there are also some nice photos in the yeah. middle of this book. They're really good. Um, you see Trevor through the years. You see him with... Uh, his wife as well. So, yeah, v very worth it to get the physical book. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just like scrolling through my notes. And Dave um, Watkins is chiming in from England about 6.30 p.m. Oh, yeah. Watching 8 30, from 8.30, sorry. 8.30 p.m. What am I saying? Okay. Hi, Dave. Yeah, yeah. thanks for chiming in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just like scrolling through my notes, seeing what else I have here. Yeah, I'll take a look, too, while you're doing that. Um, yeah, um, I see a few things that have to do with yes i guess we're saving yeah we'll save those just in case people consider them spoilers yeah. dave oh says, I, I remember oh go ahead i'm sorry dave says his favorite work by trevor is 90125 pleasure dome boggles dollar oh yeah there's a chapter on dollar yeah. oh um, well, wait wait this this reminds me going back to what you were saying about the book the person the fans question that asked you is it worth it is how much yes cover Here's the other thing. You'll learn about bands you may not be familiar with, which is always great to take a deep dive into, especially if someone you admire had anything to do with them or also admires them. So, like, there's a bunch of bands that were mentioned. Dollars, one of them. Now I want to go listen to that. Now I want to go hear what he did with Grace Jones all over again, knowing that he did that. Stuff like that, you know. Yeah, and propaganda. Like, yeah. Li and uh, that German the band, band Aid thing. Do they know it's Christmas? Right. Uh, there's a chapter on that. But yeah, like all these, like looking at all these songs and how he talks about them, it made me want to actually listen to them, which I did. And you really get to see like the effect that, like, I guess the breadth of his portfolio. Right. Is amazing. And of, of, yeah. And of course, one of the bands is ABC, which of course accounts for the subtitle from ABC to so I, I actually don't remember if we said the title out loud it's oh i don't player, think we did but yeah uh trevor horn adventures in modern recording from abc to ztt or ztt if you're in england i guess um because abc is one of the bands that he produced and uh ztt records was of course his label so i think that's a very clever title yeah. You know. Another little neat anecdote, him buying a recording studio from David Gilmore in 1995. Yeah. That was cool. And, and also one of the singles that he worked on, he I remember he mentioned it was very gratifying when he saw people in the streets like dancing yeah. to it or playing it. And he wasn't sure if people would believe him there if he said he helped make it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of humility in there as well. So you want to move on to the yes stuff and give the spoiler alert disclaimer again? Um, well, one more thing before okay. we get into the yes stuff is that from this book, I get the impression that Trevor was always pushing for new sounds. Like even if it was an artist that is known for a certain sound, it felt like he was trying to see what new stuff he could do and at one point he i vaguely remember he makes a point of saying he's not trying to inject like his own sound into everything right. which in hindsight is kind of is kind of funny when you take fly from here into account but i guess that's kind of a different thing yeah because that was but... kind of his baby to begin with in 1980 so Right. Yeah. I, I guess in that was kind of like trying to get something finished. Um, and of course there's a different version. We we've talked about the different yeah. versions of whatnot, but 
Yeah, Vows just one last thing before going into the yes spoilers, yeah. I guess. And and I, I did think of one other thing also, and it is um um oh did I just forget it? Uh <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh well. Was okay, it let's... something to do with production or it was um I really don't remember. Okay. It's okay. Forget yeah, we we can it. move on then. Like yeah, there's a on. bunch of things that I'm sure like after this broadcast, I'll be like, oh man, I forgot to mention right. this. But I think that's a testament to how many how nuggets this book is full of. Oh yeah. It's 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 great. Full of really neat twists and turns. Okay, so spoiler alert, if you're going to buy the book and you want to be surprised by reading through the yes chapters, then maybe you want to tune out or we won't go into too much detail, so maybe you want the teasers that we're going to get that could be considered spoilers. Got it, folks? Cool. All right. Uh, so what? what's your first? So first, um, I guess Tempest Fugit is the name of the chapter about the drama period. And I think we were both surprised that it doesn't actually go into the making of that particular song, let alone the crafting of all the songs on that album. It mainly focuses on how he was recruited into the band and how for a couple of weeks he kept asking where, when are John and Rick coming in until right. they finally told him and Jeff that, oh, they're not coming and that they're replacing them. <laughs> You're in the band, yeah. And like that chapter mostly focuses on the pressures of being the new lead singer. They it talks about the touring there's a good chunk on the touring yeah. um and you gotta remember this was like replacing john anderson as the lead singer and yes it had never been done before so there was a lot of pressure on trevor you know with benoit david and john davison it's like i'm sure there were some pressures but it had been done before with trevor horn and also it was more nerve-wracking because trevor horn was not used to playing live whereas Benoit right. had was comfortable playing with a yes tribute band and of course he's also a mystery John Davison had of course performed in a couple bands before yes one of them also a yes tribute band so they had experience with that whereas Trevor Horn was kind of being pushed into the deep end so to speak you know plus they were playing 15 20,000 seat arenas on 44 to 60 dates tours so there's that. And my biggest surprise was like that I would like to know a little bit more about when we interview him. And that is. Yeah, hopefully someday. Yeah. yeah, they were rehearsing in Philadelphia right up to the start of the tour. And he said every rehearsal, there was something that would go wrong. Someone would <laughs> would I'm paraphrasing, but something someone would goof or all the way up to the first date of the tour. So he said, sometimes my confidence was high. Sometimes I'd be totally bricking it. So I want to know, well, what was it the same thing consistently? Was it always him? Was it some other, was it always something different? Man, it's not like something different, but was it musically? Was it with the sound? I want to know more about, I want a whole chapter just on that, you know? Yeah. And I remember, um, I don't think this may, I don't remember if this was for just one of these periods or for both drama and 90125, but 
Chris Squire being late, he, you know, we joke about him being late, but you could see that it would frustrate Trevor Horn very much, and understandably so, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, okay. The part where they're rehearsing for the tour, and he says, who talks between songs? And they all look at him, and they say, the lead singer. And he says, but I'm the lead singer. And they say, good going, Trev. Like, he figured it out. Like, and back then, for time context, 1980, typically it was always the lead singer. Nowadays, you know, we've seen Carl Palmer talk between songs. We, we've seen even yeah. Rick Wakeman, Steve Howe talk between songs. Things yeah, like that. Chris Squire sometimes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so it was funny reading that. And it's like, wait, this feels weird that he's having this question back then, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but he hadn't yeah. played live, really. Right. I mean, well, he had, he had, but yeah. And I mean, the Buggles themselves uh, didn't play live until the tour that, well, the 2004 concert, and then the tour that I saw, where it was mainly Trevor Horn and Seals' backing band. So it's pretty wild to think about. Like the Buggles was pretty much kind of like a studio band yeah. and um you also like get a a feel of like what jeff's personality was like when trevor met him trevor says that jeff was you know when they were auditioning keyboardists for i think it was the tina charles band some of the keyboardists came on strong like i i guess in my head it sounded like they were trying too hard or trying to like talk talk themselves Key up keyboard and, but jeff very heady but, yeah but jeff wasn't like that he felt very natural and organic um yeah. and i was kind of surprised that trevor horn had to finish the second buggles album adventures in modern recording on his own after jeff had to after jeff left for asia you know yeah and didn't tell him right that's a spoiler but i'll leave the rest <laughs> yeah. of that story you know for people to read it um so was there anything else about the drama yeah. period you want to bring not, up? Or not going drama, to... but 90125 for sure. Okay, yeah. I feel like 90125, the chapter on that is where all the drama is. Oh, my God. That chapter was gripping and yeah. so revealing. And the biggest thing, and this kind of encapsulates that chapter, is the fact that the guys hated Owner of a Lonely Heart while they were working on it. <laughs> and that blew my mind. And he kept saying you trust me, you have a number one single here, you have a number one single here. And then you think back to what we've heard Rick Wakeman say over and over and over, if it wasn't for 90125 and Owner of a Lonely Heart, there'd have been no yes forward. And I think he's right. I, I don't think mm. that after XYZ, anything would have happened and it would have been, ended up being, you know, I, I anything yes related. I think that would have yeah. been, drama would have been the last album. Yeah, well, my take is that maybe they would have tried reuniting in the mid-90s at the earliest with a classic lineup. But, you know, 90125 accelerated the reunion. They had success with it. And this is kind of a question I had for you. Um, if they had, well, so the chapter is kind of, Trevor kind of uses the names Yes and Cinema interchangeably. So it kind of gets confusing. Right. Like, when did the name change happen? Was it before or after he heard the Owner of Only Heart demo, that type of thing? But My understanding is it's when John joined. 
Right, but I guess my question is, when did the owner of only hard demo listening happen? But yeah, but anyway, so we know owner of only hard became a success. So if they had found a way for that to be a hit single, like with or without John, and but still with the name Cinema, do you think Cinema would have been successful and made a name for itself? Yeah, I do, because I think it's very, very possible this song could have done just as well if it wasn't John's voice. Okay. And that's, you know, I don't want people to fucking fly off the handle and rip me because it sounds like I'm putting John down because I'm not. I'm giving credit to the song and the production and that's what made the song work more than John's voice. I mean, let's be honest. And, and because mm. of that, I think it would have catapulted whoever was there if that's how it sounded. And, and have you heard the verse, the demo version? Uh, yeah. And, uh, it may have been, you may have heard it as well, like forever ago, like it was well, on Tr Trevor Rapin's nine Oh one, two, four. And, it's well, a I bit more it, like the finished version than I remember. But I heard it, still it differently than what you think I heard. I heard it before there was John. I heard it while they were working on it. Oh, okay. Back then. And I heard it because Carl from my band Assault, Carl's guitar player's roadie, was working with Trevor Rabin, and he had a cassette run from the studio. And I remember at a gig before we played and stuff's getting set up, he said, hey, you got to hear this. Uh, this is Trevor Rabin, who's working with the guys. From it was like that kind of conversation. He had a portable cassette player and he played it. And that's when I heard it first. But then I, I heard a version later that was probably the more produced and more finished demo mm -hmm. that you're referring to, which I also heard at that that time hi sasha come on okay in. yeah um, and um did my answer answer your question though yeah you answered okay. it um another reason that they wanted to change the name was apparently there were a couple other bands called cinema but i do wonder how big of a fight would they have put up for the name like i don't know how big these other bands were well they're but... not big enough for us to have known about them so right um <laughs> and I do think the yes name, like, you know, Trevor Horn mentions that he was pushing for them to be yes again, but I think Atlantic as well wanted the name resurrected because yes was one of their crown jewels, you know, yeah. and it's like people them know the happen. name, so like, why not use well, it? Well, the, the other business decision there is it's, it's less of a backstory and more of a reason for new fans to dig into that back catalog and then everyone's making money again yeah whereas if it was a different name it'd be like oh so that guy is in this see this album that guy's in this other band yes you should check them it's different it instantly mm. connected all that yeah but conversely um asia was able to make it work you know new name but familiar musicians you know no, they they went with the name Asia after they started out with the name Asia. 
No, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying. Teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I know okay. what you mean. No, but that right. that's a great point. Yeah, because none of them were all in another band at the same time. They were. Yeah, well, except Steve and Jeff for yeah, different drama. members. Yeah. Steve and Jeff, um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, the bit where Trevor Horn, uh, basically, it f- seemed like uh, nobody wanted to go and talk to John to bring him in. It was kind of surprising. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And um, Trevor ended up being the one to go and talk to John. And I kind of wonder... That must like, have been weird. Yeah. Like, I wonder, like, when this happens in relation to the story I've heard of Chris playing the demos to John, but... It's very interesting. You yeah. see the like pushback between Trevor Horn and John Anderson, and yeah. also the whole thing of Trevor Horn uh, not wanting Tony K for a certain session because he heard Trevor Rabin playing keyboards. Yeah, um, and he makes a point of saying uh, something to the effect of, "Mind you, I didn't want Tony out of the band, just out of that session." Right, but that rubbed tony the wrong way and then of course we all know they got eddie jobson and then got tony back um so the rest there was history yeah um, did, did going, you have anything else about 90125 before yeah, i bring up this going other back thing? to what you said about the trevor and john conversation i want to know how did that come about did did trevor call him up and say hey i want to come talk to you like how did that come up and where did they meet and how did that conversation, you know, what I want more of that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, after, well, Trevor Horn, I think says, that owner of a lonely heart in his opinion is the best song on 90125. And, you know, as a little kid, it was my, my favorite. Yes. Song, but over time, it's kind of become my least favorite on 90125, funny well, enough. Because like, you're more, it's all subjective and you've become more right. of a frog head. That's why. Yeah. Um, I think their but, biggest mistake is not using him for the next album for the same lineup of players. That is just, and, and big. Oh, well, Big Generator? Yeah. Yeah, like he mentions that uh, he was briefly involved with Big Generator, and then he says, and we all know what happened there, but he, he doesn't cover that period, and I'm saying here, like, well, tell us more about yeah, that, please. Yeah. Like, at least, uh, like, I understand not devoting a chapter to it, because he didn't craft a hit song for that album. Like, if he had an integral role in, say, Rhythm of Love, for example, then, yeah, maybe he would have had a chapter on that. But since he was involved briefly and didn't see it through, I would have liked at least maybe a paragraph about. Yeah, but I don't the, know. The thing. I don't know the detail of how much he was involved or why he didn't. Why he wasn't the guy for that album? I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I think there were some arguments um, within, maybe within the band and with him, and um, I know. Um, That's my I least figured- favorite album as far as production. Mm-hmm. there's a lot yeah. of music on there i really like but it just sounds like it's being played on a jack-in-the-box drive through speaker in a cardboard box i hate the production of that album yeah it does make me wonder like what if he had been fully involved and there wasn't all this messiness of oh let's record in all these different places right. and people um not showing up uh, 
when they should or maybe like there are a bunch of different stories but it does make you wonder like what would that trevor horn produced big generator have sounded like you know yeah. i'd love for him to remix it and master it mm, yeah if it were at all possible that would um, be cool yeah i see this comment from dave Watkinson. Uh, the English audience had not heard a strained vocal for the first decade of Yes Gigs, and with Yes being an English band, it just wasn't going to work. Poor Trevor. However, he had the guts to do it, and they produced a great album. The thing is, though, it's a good thing it didn't last because of what he did for Yes with 90125. He can be hugely proud of his work, and he is a real Yes legend. Cinema needed John. Atlantic thought so. I thought so. And it's not a fail. It's just the natural progression. The other cinema bands were going to make life difficult, as was uh, as band called Ice, I believed. As John D. and I left cinema rehearsals, Atlantic executives were due in the next hour or so. Cinema was a success, of course, as an award-winning track. Yeah, I remember Dave uh, detailing that rehearsal stuff in yes in the 1980s yeah, yeah. Um, thanks dave yeah interesting um yeah, i love to... this song cinema it's the opening track of our theme music for this show um i love that song it's one of those things you i at least wish it was longer you know it's yeah. a great intro song but i would love for that song to be more more of the jam part of it we've heard the longer version that happens before the drum roll comes in but I'd love for that to just keep going. Just oh, like yeah, that. like on the talk tour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, just scrolling through my notes, seeing if there's anything else CS-related. Um, I guess one of the things uh, I guess it shows me is how the relationships with YES members can change over time. I mean, uh, I guess Alan wasn't so sure about John coming back, but later on he'd be the best man at John's wedding with yeah. Jane, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder so, what the reason was. Dependability, yeah. or I wonder what. Or maybe he wanted cinema to stand on its own. Like maybe. that could be a reason. Yeah. Um, also, the, with the Prince's Trust 2004 concert, you know, you had that lineup of uh, Trevor Rabin, Steve Howe, Jeff Downs, Alan White, and Chris Squire. And that is such a unique lineup just for that one concert to play cinema and owner of only heart. I'm surprised that Trevor Horn didn't sort of elaborate a bit on how strange that was. And how that came about as far as the members and what was rehearsal like, or did they even rehearse or, you know? Right. But um, I, I like how basically it felt like the plane landed very well with how he details the rest of that concert. He's, basically uh praising the artists who who were there who they did so well and how it all came together in the yeah. end neat stuff all kinds of excuse me i get up at four in the morning folks um the, the frankie goes to hollywood stuff was gripping as well there's there's just a lot of business stuff production stuff relationship stuff being in bands every aspect of working with artists as artists or producer or manager is in this book and it's extremely fulfilling is the word that i'll use i didn't know what to expect yeah and it's definitely 
as something that could act as a gateway to all sorts of artists. Yeah. And again, can't stress enough how big of a role his wife, Jill uh, Sinclair, played in all this. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very well written. Um, and like we said, there were bits where we kind of wish he'd elaborated a bit more. But overall, it's just such a gripping narrative. Like it's something that uh, every music fan should read, in my opinion. Definitely. Cool. So, yeah. So as far as, um, you know, Trevor Horn now, uh, I remember a few months ago we heard he might be working on a solo album. So I guess we'd eventually cover that on our first album since joining Yes series. And of course, right. Oliver Wakeman has one coming out. I think Trevor's well. would be the largest time gap, of course. Yeah. He may well i guess it depends on like when you're because tony k's um solo album came out like quite a while after oh that's first true. joined yes but this would maybe be the biggest gap between leaving yes and recording a solo yeah, album so i guess it yeah so i guess it depends on where you put the markers in the yeah. timeline um, and as far as other books um like we've said before, we have Yes, the Tormato story by Kevin Mulrine. So mm -hmm. we'll cover that at some point. Uh, I kind of wonder if maybe we should uh, have that and a discussion with Kevin and maybe a review of the Tormato album itself as one thing and maybe in That'd September cool. for its anniversary. Cool. So we'll reach out and see what we can work yeah. out. Um, there are a couple other books. Um, one of our listeners, Carl, told me about rick wakeman in the 1970s oh wow uh, yeah this is from sonic bond publishing who also put out uh yes in the 1980s and yes in the 1990s i think is also coming out like end of september so maybe we'll move on to that one sometime after the termata one and um maybe consider the rick wakeman one at some point so yeah yeah there are plenty of books that. to consider um so yeah, and in the meantime, here on Yes Shift, uh, we have an interview with Dave Cousins uh, next Saturday, July 22nd at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern US time and 8 p.m. UK time. Uh, Dave Cousins, of course, uh, being, yeah, Straubs, you know, leader, singer. Um, you can bet I'm gonna be uh, going through the Straub's discography in the lead up to this. Um, and yeah, well, we have other stuff in the works. And so be sure to follow us at facebook.com slash yes shift, uh, where we'll post about things and also curate things. You can also find our videos at youtube.com slash at yes shift and go to anchor.fm slash yes shift if you'd like to support us so it's a donate button and you can also see the other podcast platforms that we're on if you want audio only um yep. and email us at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com suggestions feedback uh all that kind of stuff and uh yeah uh, do you have anything else to add dad uh, not other than i can't believe this was episode 107 not yeah. counting a couple <laughs> dozen news desk reports but episode 107, the other day, we just crossed our two-year anniversary, as Steve yeah. mentioned at the top of the show, and 
just blows my mind. But Trevor, thank you so much for all the great music. Thank you for such a great book. We look forward to having you on. We'll reach out again. And uh, we got other things in the works, folks, as well. And Steve gave you the rundown for what's on the horizon for the next couple weeks or so. Yeah, definitely. Get the book. <laughs> get all it. Right. Just, just, just get it. It's really good. We yeah. should talk about it. You want to talk about it? <laughs> what was your favorite part? Thanks, yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>